0: Of studios in Dublin, welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast about words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Derek O'Shea. I've been reading a book recently, Oscar called No and it is one of the most exciting and interesting uh, books, Oscar I've read in, in, in a while. It's, I'm just blown away by it. It is a book in, I suppose you say, it's in verse, and it's a story of a of a teenage girl who meets a chap online. And the cover art design has been done by Kirsten Scheel, who does the artwork for this very podcast. And I am absolutely delighted to have the author on the phone with me today. Maury Zeph, Faltzka Motherfucklore.
1: the do Girl I like it. It's lovely to be with you.
0: <laughs> we are just delighted to have you. Um, Maury, um, first of all, I need to tell the, our, our listeners who might not be familiar with your work a little bit about yourself.
1: So I um I now have eight books that I've written um all of which are in Irish um so I started out writing first of all historical fiction, so my first book was called or it's called Tubister and Titanic, which uh, follows the story of a brother and sister who discover, like a magic door um in their granny's house and they go through it and they are transported in in time. So there was um the Titanic and then there was a follow up of that um with. Uh, the Vikings in, in Dublin. Um, so um, that's where I started out because my own background is in history. Um, and uh, then I got into picture books. Um, so I wrote Nagor Skull, uh, Don't Go to School, um, mm. which is about a little bear starting school. And he's really excited, but his mommy doesn't want him to go. It's kind of a role reversal story. Ah.
2: Um,
1: and it was a big game changer for me, actually, because um, it's... Uh, It then got translated to like seven languages around the world. It's for sale in America and China and Korea and all sorts. So um, that was really exciting for me. It's now available in English um, in Ireland and the UK as well. Um, And then I've been writing um, a series of picture books about a girl called Rita. Um, And they're with illustrator Andrew Whitson um, and Tna Hedwur, the publishers of those. And that's been a real interesting journey, just um in that writing a series is such a different thing and having this character who who lives beyond individual stories and books um so that's been brilliant and we've got more of hers to come um and uh and yeah then then the latest one is really something a bit different for me because um uh no Nina's for for teenagers for the first time or young adults really it's kind of even the older side of teens so into young adults and that's been a real departure for me um mm and a really big learning curve as well, I guess. Um, But beyond that, I've been the uh, children's writing fellow uh, for Northern Ireland, uh, the first person to do that job. I've just finished it recently, um, and that was based at the Seamus Heaney Centre in Belfast there, Mm. at Queen's. And and it was just a wonderful thing to do because on the other, you've got all the writing side, which can be so solitary and so um, sort of lonely in a sense, just you and your book. Um, But this was the other side of going out into schools and festivals and libraries and um, getting children writing um, and was involved in all sorts of projects as part of that. So it was really lovely antidote actually to the writing side of things.
0: Absolutely. And as you say there, Nonine is a very different uh, kind of book to the book about the, the teddy bear wanting to go to school. And it is a, uh, it's a it's a book that we can, we grips you very early on in that it's, it's a, you'd you call it, I suppose, a yeah, verse. It's written in verse, but it's a novel, but it's in verse. And in some ways, the, the individual chapters, which are only a page or two each, um, they are almost like uh, emails or long text messages, but they are poems.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting to write in that way, actually, because mm. um, I find that very often when I try and write in prose, my prose wants to sort of fragment itself and break up mm. anyway. Because well, um, what I find was when you write like that, it's like you've got the shape of the page, the shape of the words, as much as you've got the, the sound of the words or the meaning of the words. So you've kind of got an extra... You know, if you normally write in 2D, you're you're in 3D, <laughs> you're oh, yeah. writing in the verse novel, you've got this extra kind of element to it where you can, you know, lots of repetition and space and you can use the space in interesting ways as well. So I really loved writing like that. I just find it a- easy for the words to flow or for the, the emotions to flow or something. There was there was some some way that I find it a lot easier than prose. Uh, and that surprised me because I thought it was going to be a very difficult thing to write.
0: But it just it just works so well, and and even when you are reading it, and you think that yeah, if somebody finds it odd, initially odd-looking a page, you just when you're reading it you realize it, it couldn't be going down any other way. And the uh, I suppose the, and particularly those kind of poetic techniques, I'm always getting people asking me that they're a that they're a learner or that they're an adult who maybe doesn't want to necessarily read a kids book, but they want something that's kind of maybe straightforward Irish or something that's not not challenging, but well, I wouldn't say. Maybe not, not challenging can, can it maybe isn't the right word, but I think the fact that the that that the 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 pace the the pace that's created by the short chapters and the the repetition of certain words kind of, uh, kind of poetically for the for its intensity of meaning does actually make it very handy for a a reader returning to Irish to actually kind of follow what's going on very quickly without having the English next to it.
1: I I think that's definitely true, and it's a strange thing because when people hear that something's written in verse, their first instinct is to imagine that that makes it complex or um, hard to get into, Um, and I think once anybody's ever read anything in free verse, you realise that it's really the opposite. It's like you've taken... It's like a condensed version of a novel. You've taken out all the fat or all of the the extras and you've pared it down, so it's very fast-moving and it's very... um, easy to read as a genre so they find that um, I think in all languages um, that it's been a bit of a, a game changer um, specifically for reluctant readers or people who feel challenged um, when they see a big you know there's lots of people that their hearts sink when they see the length of a book Um Just that there's a commitment of time or, you know, we're all busy people and sometimes it's that. But sometimes as well, um, especially uh, with teens and stuff, there's just a a sense in which they they don't want to take on a big, uh, a long book like that. So when I was reading these books in English, um, I thought, uh, just as you said, that there was an an extra element in which this would be great for Irish because, um, as you mentioned, um, adult learners, um, mm. but also for for um, Irish-speaking teenagers. Mm. Um, there's an interesting thing that happens as you go through, as, as people go through their education, that, that there's some, sometimes a point at which, because there's so much choice in English for reading and whatever, that, that the English reading takes off and that there's a reluctance to read in Irish through lack of material, but also there's some, some other obstacle there maybe uh, for people. Um, so I just thought this would cut through it, you know, that this, well, mm. hopefully can be... Um, Sort of a new stepping stone or something in, in the mix, um, that people can can lift it. And as you say, um, there there's an ease of reading it uh, mm. that is maybe different from a lot of books.
0: Absolutely, and it is a very, I'd say, it's an as well as the actual the the, the text itself. It is an urgently topical book.
1: It's really quite dark, isn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> it it's worth is. saying
1: at this point <laughs> that it takes uh, like a health warning or something. Mm. You know, I, I always worry about the people who are used to reading my books that are about, you know, robots and fairy godmothers and dragons. <laughs> and that um, if anyone should lift this book, they're expecting that they're going to be in for a bit of a shock, I think, because mm. <laughs> it is dark. And, and, and as you say, topical, um, I think that this is a, just a huge issue of our time, of um, the internet being so important. It's just an absolute lifeline to us. Um but there being that other side to it as well, that really, really dark potential in there of us needing to know, um, needing to be alert and aware um to where to trust, where not to trust, where to be open, where not to, and just where those lines are, I guess.
0: Very much so. It's it's it's, it's something I I think about all the time and we think about the vulnerability and what what the world but that have uh, um I suppose the 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 dangers of the online world and but there's also I suppose the that's something that comes across the books is you know the, the offline world isn't great either sometimes.
1: I don't think it's that different mm. in a lot of ways, but I think that people are more aware or alert to um, where the lines of public and private are in in the in the real world, you know. Mm. And it's when it's virtual, people can feel so close so quickly um, to people where they really have no knowledge. Um, of who they are or who they're connected to or what their background is and that kind of thing. Um, and I think that I just sense I live with a lot of teenagers at home. Mm. I've got uh, five kids at home uh, yeah. between children and stepchildren um, and three of them are teenagers. And so I hear the kind of um, uh, the mistrust they have of safety information they're given. And I understand it. It's that kind of, when you're that age and and your teachers are telling you, you know, uh, don't drink alcohol or you'll die. And it's that kind of, you know, over-exaggerated messages that they just learn to brush off. And I think that when they're talked to about the internet, they feel like, like, and kind of rightly so, it's their world, not the world of the generation before who are trying to teach them about it. Mm. Um, But there's a real sense of invincibility that frightens me because I think if you know how uh, vulnerable you are, then you're in a safe place. And if you feel invincible, then you're really not. Yes. Um, And I I guess that's the the message I was trying to get across in in the book, Um, rather than any kind of uh, talking Mm (laughs) down, you know, just that kind of sense that, you got your eyes wide open, you'll be good.
0: <laughs> it's a funny one because i i think obviously I'm—I'm I'm, uh, I'm 41 years old now, and I, one of the f- phenomena among p- internet users, my generation, and this comes up every um, every August. So probably not—not—not not, not long after we this, this episode comes out, there'll be people um, tweeting about how uh, about leaving certain results, and they so were saying, you know, don't worry if you're if your A-level results or your leaving certain results aren't great, mine weren't great. Now I'm a big success, and and then the the responses. You're dude you're 41 no, no young people follow you you're they're not even on the same platform as you they're not even using different things and these um we actually could, the there's been some versions of social media around for so long that they're actually you, you do have full digital natives now who people who, teenagers who've grown up in a world when there never really has when there hasn't hasn't been an alternative to a, a social media online and I remember someone recently was saying that uh, I was talking about couples meeting online through Tinder or Grindr or other sorts of things. And they're saying that when you when a, when a person meets someone they're interested in, that there's always this element of, of Facebook stalking or something almost now. And it's like they say, ultimately, all dating is, is somewhat online now. And even then, a, a person having absolutely no uh, social media profile at all is often seen as a kind of a, almost like a... Almost like a dangerous sign, almost.
1: It's it's an it's amazing the transformations that the internet has brought that will I don't think we'll understand until we can look back from yeah. future generations. But as you said earlier on, and I think it's just really, really important that there's these revolutions, but there's also the sense in which the universal truths are still true and that people's interactions with each other are still what they've always been. They're just in a different in a different place you know yes um but one of the other things that i was really interested to explore in the book was just the questions of this kind of um guilt that people take on around around uh when something bad happens this instinct to find out who's to blame yeah and to to apportion blame and that there's a huge sense in which, um, for, for generations, I suppose the generation above me, Mm. um, uh, but that there's a huge sense in which there's a fear of the internet and that feeds into this sense of, you know, people being irresponsible and, um, um, that it's their own fault to get themselves in these in these situations and and it was really important to me in the book as well whilst saying let's all be aware and keep our eyes open mm. but also saying like let's make sure we always put the blame in the right place <laughs> mm. <laughs> that it's perpetrators of horrific acts who are to blame and not people um, who are the victims and that that goes so deeply in our society I think this victim blaming yes. Um, that uh, that it's it's it was something that was really interesting to unpick, just in terms of Noni's mother in the story, and and how it's all bound up with her fears, mm-hmm. and and how her her fearful place that she ties herself into then gets reflected onto, why has this happened to my daughter, um, is it her fault? Is it my fault? And all of these, you know, this these mm. this whirlwind of blame um that we have in our culture. And I just, you know, um just aside from the internet things, there's all sorts of questions in there that that um that are true regardless of, of where something happens or how it happens.
0: Mammy mm-hmm. the uh Stone Age those references that were very good. It it is something that and when we we do see more and more of these stories, we hear them anecdotally or we hear them on the news. And it's, it's, as you say, the establishing blame and it, it can often distract from actually kind of preventing things happening again or from learning from things the because so often um it's, there's, there's so often people think that if something isn't establishing proving that something isn't their fault is more important than proving what happened mm. so and wh- where did we say that the inspiration for the book came from um between the the actual the format you used and the actual subject matter was there any one moment you thought this is like i have to write this book
1: Um, I think that people have asked me this before in relation to why the change is, you know, why to suddenly write something that's really quite different. I think that what's happening to me as a writer is um, that an awful lot of what's uh, preoccupying me in my my day-to-day life comes out in my writing. I guess that's something that's... um, very normal. I'm not saying that you know robots and and teddy bears are, like,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> but actually, I wrote this story about starting school. And my youngest was starting school, and there they, there has been a sense in which my home life and my my um, parenting life mm-hmm. has been where you know where you're obsessing about and the issues that you're dealing with. So I guess there's a kind of a natural sense in which, as the years have gone by, um, and my own children are older. Where these are the issues that you're surrounded by on a daily basis, and um, that you're grappling with and struggling with, maybe and reading about and thinking about. Um, so I guess that's um, you know some of where where it came from. Um, uh, just a feeling that there was an important um, that it's an important moment in time, I, I guess, and that um, and that this question of of a uh, trust and, and um and relationships and and love and um, that, that it was something that was just um that I was ready to write yeah. um but the genre was really different because you've got this really really dark subject matter I mean really dark and when I didn't really think it through when I when I thought to to, to start on the book how dark my research would have to get um I hadn't kind of Uh, It seems obvious in hindsight, but I hadn't really thought through that I was going to spend weeks and months of my life researching, you know, paedophile psychology. And (laughs) it's just, you know, all sorts of really, really dark, nasty. I'm really glad nobody was looking at my Google search history at the time because some of it was really, really difficult. Mm. Um, But um, so on the one hand, you've got this really difficult subject. And then on the other hand, the genre, which actually was something so light and so different for me that, that I felt I was able to stretch myself a bit as a writer, um, uh, much as I love writing picture books and I, am still writing picture books. It's still a very deep love of mine. Um, but it's, you know, you're very restricted in terms of the numbers of words that you can use, the types of words that you can use. So this felt a bit liberating language wise, you know, that I could just play a little, I guess, with language. And, um, so, uh, So I knew that I wanted to write a verse novel because I'd been enjoying reading verse novels. And I thought Irish needs a verse novel (laughs) for Mm -hmm. young adults. And uh, so there was kind of a sense as well. I think always when you're writing in a minority language, you can't do it without an awareness of where you feel gaps are in that market or where you think what you think might be useful or needed or lacking. Um, and I get, I think that's different from when you're writing in English, um, yeah. that you just have a, a sense the whole time of um, being able to add to a canon. And I did have a strong sense that there that um, Irish is brilliant now for kids' books, and it goes a bit into teenage, but it's very safe and young teenage, I think, um, and that there wasn't anything sort of on this level, which is just a wee bit more. I guess it's a little bit shocking as a book. It's a bit more. Um, it goes into it goes into a different age range. Um, which is something that is kind of challenging, I think, as well. Um, I think Irish language literature world has been quite safe. Yeah. Um, and you kind of feel a strange sense when you're pushing at the boundaries of it. Um, but that's you know, that uh, but, but certainly the publisher had, had some interesting feedback from teachers who were like, mm. Ooh, that's a bit what was the word they used? That's a bit, uh, uh and not gory. What was the word? <laughs> I can't remember the word they used, but it was, um, graphic. That was. It's a bit graphic. It was like, yeah, it is a bit graphic. <laughs> um, it doesn't pull any punches.
0: But I I I think that's great because I mean, so often a lot of people who are doing things in Irish, I know your um your your near neighbours, the rappers kneecap, they can hear this a bit. That's sometimes things that um. That things that are done in Irish are almost expected to be for everyone, and are expected to be kind of you know specifically educational. And sometimes you say no, actually, just this is um, this is the language I write in, this is the language I compose in, this is the language I perform in, and I want I want it to be as personal as possible. And sometimes you think that yes, this isn't for everyone; it's, it won't necessarily be for every single person who wants to just read as many Irish books as possible. But this is, um, but nothing nothing great is ever for everyone.
1: And you have to ask the question, you know, would it be a problem if it existed in English? No. Yes. <laughs> when you think of yeah, exactly. the things that kids, and like, I know what kids love reading at this age. You know, i kind of put 15 plus in my head on this book. Um, and I've got 15 and 16 year olds at home and I know the kind of stuff they're reading. I know what they're watching. Mm. Um, and, it, and it's graphic. And they have no, I think they have no problem with dark compared to their parents, like me, um, that we find it a lot more difficult. So I've been having lots of feedback from really traumatised parents who've been reading this, <laughs> parents <laughs> <of> teenagers. teenagers. <laughs> so mm. I'm like, sorry, guys, it's, you know, you can enjoy it, but it wasn't actually written for you. <laughs> um, but I think there's a, a the distinction there between what teenagers and what young adults um, uh, will want to read mm. and what schools will want to teach. Um, and I'd like to think that Noonien could be both. Um, I think there's a strong case that you could make there. But it's a it's a question that, um, you know, we shouldn't have to um, let uh, teachers, who can be quite a conservative bunch,
2: yeah.
1: um, certainly when they've got their teaching hats on, um, that we shouldn't necessarily let them be gatekeepers for what literature gets written um, in Irish. And I think that's really, really important. It's really important mm. that we have books that uh, kids will want to pick up and read themselves, um, and uh, or or twenty somethings or whatever, because um, I think that young adults uh, label is is a very wide one. I don't yeah. think the line uh, is easily drawn about about where where that should fall. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think that if we only think of, um, and I think for the publishers it's quite difficult because um, in terms of sales, once a book gets taken up by schools as a school text, then obviously their sales are very very different um, in Irish so there's a kind of a there's a kind of an incentive there for them to always be conservative as well so I was really really grateful to Cushliffa to kind of to kind of go with it and they really did they really stood behind it the whole way through um, um, and were quite unapologetic um, about writing something that was just a bit edgier than we're used to in Irish that was lovely.
2: Yeah,
0: I think it was it was definitely a risk worth taking. It's been wonderful. But I was just thinking there that I mean, um you would have done Irish for A level, so I'm guessing, yes?
1: Yeah. I, I was brought up speaking Irish at home. Ah. Um but I did it I did it for A level as well. That's cool, yeah.
0: So and I'm just thinking can be here, we get this, these conversations a lot on this podcast and or any all the contributors hear this oh afterwards this the way it's taught, the way it's taught Irish isn't very good. But the um what kind of what what books would you have read for when you're doing Irish for the A levels compared to what's on the Leaving Cert? You,
1: you see that thing about how it's taught is yeah. only something I've ever heard from Southerners. Yeah, I've never in my life heard anybody in the North talk about um, the way that Irish is taught. Well, partly it's not a compulsory language, so a compulsory subject, so there may be an awful lot of it that's, that falls just simply because of that. Mm. Um, so it's very much something that's chosen, and, and so it's people who have a real love of it who tend to study it. So that maybe changes the whole um, culture of it as well. Yeah. Um, but we were taught, I mean, we were taught just incredibly. I, I, I couldn't speak highly enough of of my Irish teachers at school, mm. and that whole experience of going to the Gale um uh, just being submerged in, in, in some sort of other world is what it felt like. Um, mm. But I guess I'd grown up that way and we felt like, you know, being brought up with Irish myths and legends and old songs and all of that kind of stuff that it felt quite alien to me then when I went to school. All my schooling was through English.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it just felt like there was these two worlds and they didn't meet. Um, And so there was a lovely sense for me then later on when I did do A-Level Irish and things of just kind of my world's coming together, you know, (laughs) where where the wider world knew about some of this stuff as well. It wasn't just a home secret, you know. Mm. Um, And then funny enough, I went to study um, in Oxford. I did uh, history over there and they were so open to the Irish side of my life that that also really took me aback so wow. they were happy for me to go and study Gaelic poems and um, to, to spend as long as I wanted learning you know all sorts of stuff about um, yeah uh, history and literature and whatever of, of the Irish language and it was just really interesting because um, you have all these lines that are drawn for about politics and schooling and whatever and it was just really liberating for me then to mm. to find people just so open to it and I'm fascinated by it, because why wouldn't you be? It's
0: a great Irish scene in Oxford, we have been told, and there's a, obviously there's a, there's a hurling club and a GA club, and there's a, obviously lots of Irish lectures and stuff is there as well, it's a little scene. Absolutely. But, um, so, Myra, tell, tell us what, what do you have next on the horizon? Obviously this this, this book has been a success, and what, so what, what do you have coming in the next few months in 2019, before the end of this decade?
1: I have uh, a really beautiful uh, new book coming out, hopefully in September, with Foute Fata. and it's um, it's called "An Agus an Rí," the Butterfly and the King, oh. and it's um, it's a retelling of the old myth of Mir and Aithing. Um and uh, so I was tasked with. Uh, bringing it up to date you know uh, we've kind of had an awful lot of this with Grimm's fairy tales and Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales and whatever where we look at them now and sort of say how does this fit with our with where we are where we are as a society and our values and whatever specifically in terms of gender so yes. this is a kind of a looking back on this old story a beautiful beautiful old story we have it from um, the uh, book of the Dun Cow in the 12th century um, but it's much older than that, about this girl who's transformed into a butterfly. Um, and uh, it's a sort of a love story or a love triangle, if you want to think of it that way. Um, but a really, really fantastic story. But the, the, the main character, it's very definitely Aideen's story. But the main character in the story as we have it um, has no agency whatsoever. In her own story, so she's bewitched and she's sold and she's and finally won in a game of chess. I mean, it's that stark. Oh wow! (laughs) So um, I was given this story to to look at it again and to retell it um, for for modern uh, children um, in a way that that we would be happy to tell it now. And I thought that was fascinating. I spent quite a lot of time going back into. Very, very strange old versions of this story, um, and uh, and I grew up with the story myself. So it's quite it's quite hard when you're given something that's really very precious to you, and um and you're afraid to to mess with it too much. You know, to make sure that the sort of that the elements of, that it's still the same story, um but that it's just a, a reworking of it. So that's um I've finished that, and it's um, being illustrated by a really fantastic illustrator called Shona Shirley MacDonald, I don't know if you've come across her work, but she's absolutely, it's going to be very, very, very beautiful book, I think, um, just judging by what I've seen of her, of her pictures as well. So I have that coming out um, hopefully in September and I have a new Rita book as well. Um, so Rita uh, in each book, she's like this little girl with these big mad ideas. So she'll face like a really normal problem and then she'll come up with a completely fantastical solution. Um, so, uh, uh, so she's had a robot and a fairy godmother and um, a witch and a, and a dragon, and in this story, it's um, Rita Uggs and Ninja. So she's going to, there's going to be a lot of ninjas in this book and I can't wait. Do you know when you've got a book coming out that you know that it's not just the book itself, but I'm going to have so much fun in schools with this. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to say, I'm going to make some kind of, I don't know, ninja masterclass. Um, Mm. (laughs) And I can't wait. So, um, so we've got that to look forward to as well. Um, And uh, various things on the horizon, but um, lots of schools projects on the horizon as well. Um, and uh, I'm kind of really, really I, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm in a funny place now where I'm just kind of trying to, I've got so many different areas that I've been writing in that I'm really trying to, it's quite difficult to work out where I want to go next. So I'd mm. love to write another uh, verse novel. I'd love to do another Nonine, oh, yes. a completely different Nonine. Um, uh, but I'm also just, I can't stay away from the picture books. So I'm not sure, it's, it seems like a really unlikely combination, but I think that's, that's where my attention's <laughs> mm. going to be.
0: It certainly sounds like you get your hands full and you did right. And before we wrap up, um, I do like to ask our guests what their favourite Irish word is.
1: Uh-huh. Um, I love the word Um, I love onomatopoeic words anyway, but there's something about shisternach that just, whether it's describing wind in the trees or the rustle of silk or whatever, it's just a really, really beautiful word. So shisernach, that would be my word.
0: Fantastic. Mara, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Darrell.
0: So, until the next time, it's a slan from me.
1: Okay, slanish.
0: Catch you next time. Thank you.
2: Um, hi, guys. Hope you're all well. Um, so, I picked two schluchten from, like, sections from the uh, story that I thought were kind of indicative of the story without spoiling it. And um, were also maybe interesting enough that might make you want to read more. Um, so I suppose like that would be my ideal if I had written this book and what I would want people to do, you know, not give away the story but also make people intrigued. So they are thirty-four and thirty-five, so Pogue and Borja, um, and they're on page pages seventy to seventy three. Short and sweet, but enough that might make people interested. I'm going to try and do my best poetry voice now. <clears throat> so here we go. Stréacha caithar, thoug. Er fóg tu River, rive arsta oisínlum. Núr a chórin sísin an chtheist, níil sé a ná a córbrú. Ní Ekinche fáib, núr a dó, nor fóg, go Oda chokhi lumsa pog a hort Dutch and a The head fog, the solace na realte is jigown, a drift lu, er the viola, Agas the chas na gréna, the kraken, law saura, the kinata sound, agus the bjog blaster, then voodoo dorcha, and then Strache Kuig, Borja. Anonin, Mar Haralat, a scraven Emer, Kofermalta A wall is not Karalum, ni Smoe. Kahemere raw, will me foot. Iver a hen, Niel Anna got air. She's a healing shisha. Iver a doe, Kahem tu gach bummited den law. Erin O'Neish, thought Darran didn't a guts. Erin Earsail, Kadeem are a haggard, callin' nach revving raw, Kobio Bahak fear is the shot. Every tree, no cast to a few. Go forward. Okay, class, that's it. <laughs> um if you want me to do more, uh let us know, Derek, and I can. Um but like I said, I don't want to give away the story. Um, I'd like people to actually buy this book because it's actually deadly, as you know. Um, but uh let me know. Um and I can do that. Um but yeah. Um I hope to see you all soon. Hope you're well. Hope you're missing me loads and you haven't replaced me yet. Okay, bye.
0: This has been a production of the Headstuff
2: Podcast Network. Um, I just want to let you know, Brian, that I am sitting under a duvet with a flash lamp.